Good morning, Church on the Rock. My name is Rashad. I'm the pastor here at Church on the Rock. And now I'm not going to say one of the pastors anymore because I don't even identify those Ohio State fans. So I am the pastor of those here at Church on the Rock. Thank you. All right. Now, um, we do that because we want to make sure that you're energized, that you're up, and that you are ready and attentive for the word, especially today because the section of scripture we're in is is tough. Um, Peter says in, I mean, yeah, Peter says in 2 Peter when he's talking about uh, Paul, he says, there's this apostle named Paul, and sometimes what he says is hard to understand. Like, he literally says that in the scriptures. This is one of those sections where Paul is hard to understand. So, me and Nussbaumer and um, Ralph, we prayed earlier before I got up here that you would understand what God wants you to understand and not me fumbling through trying to help you understand. Because it's, it's a difficult text to kind of break down and find the flow of it, but we're going to try our best. So I want to make sure you're up. I want to make sure you're alert. I'm so thankful to see the faces who are here. Um, this is amazing to me because a lot of people that I'm talking to that are pastor friends of mine can't get this to happen. Um, this is happening. This is God. This is not me. This is not Ty. This is not anybody here. This is God, the fact that you're here. So let's do that one more time. Good morning, Church on the Rock. Amen. Um, I got a clicker today, which means we're back to having some slides. Leah, did you put me on my, yes, she did. Go, Leah. I got it from there. I got it from there. So I can no longer blame Leah for the slides being messed up. I do it every week, and I can't do it this week. You won't be able to see it as good because we got the garage doors open. Uh, that's okay. It says all fall. That is going to be the sermon series that we're in until we're done with chapter 3. We're back in Romans. You see how that was kind of uneven? People are like, yay, like kind of. I'm not sure if I'm happy about that. So I have to give some context. First, I'll say this. I can't do it all this morning. So please, if you haven't been here or you just don't remember, go to our website or our podcast We've been walking through Romans very slowly. It's a foundational book of Christianity. And there's a lot of context before we get to where we're at. I can't preach all, like, one year of Romans. We've been in it for one year, and we only got to chapter 3. That should tell you how deep we went. But it's all there online for you to listen to when you're at work or when you're on a walk or on a run or maybe cycling. I don't know how that works, but listen to it. I'll bring us up to speed real quick. Paul is the apostle that is writing this book. Paul did not know this church that was in Rome. However, he was writing to them, A, to secure some money to go on a mission further west to like Spain and what they call the ends of the earth. But he was also dealing with some of the issues that were going on in the church at Rome. This is where it's going to match a lot of what's going on in Church on the Rock and churches in America. The, the church in Rome was diverse. It was diverse because uh, the emperor Titus kicked all the Jews out of Rome um, while he was in reign because they were fighting over if Christ was the right way or not. So he was like, hey, all Jews get out of Rome. But then he died, and when Nero took over, Nero lifted that ban, so Jews came back to Rome. And when they came back, the church that they had kind of planted there was predominantly Gentile or non-Jewish. So there's going to be some differences because when we were there and we were running it, we did it one way. We left for four years. We came back. They're doing things a little bit different than how we do it. And what's the right way? And now we're clashing because our views are different. We're clashing because our opinions are different. And how do we exist as a church? Sound familiar? Right? And so Paul is writing for that reason as well. And after he introduces himself, 
calls himself a slave for the gospel, a slave for Christ, and talks about how the gospel is the power of God for salvation to all who believes. At the, at the remainder of chapter 1, he looks at every non-believing person and says, you are a sinner who will receive the wrath of God if you don't repent and believe. It's funny. We started 2020 out. You know when people are ha- have their New Year's resolutions, they're like, I'm going to go to church. And so since pastors know that, normally they're like, Man, we're about to get the new resolution, the, the New Year's resolution crowd. So let's preach a feel-good message so we can keep the New Year's resolution crowd, right? That's what pastors think. You know what we, pre- you know what we preach on here? The wrath of God. Like, who does that in January, right? Like, January's first service, for the first three months, all we taught about was the wrath of God. No, every pastor I talked to was like, I wouldn't do that. I'd, I'd at least wait till after Easter. I was like, nope, nope, we're going for it. And so in Romans 1, we taught on the wrath of God <laughs> I don't know. Uh, for the first in, in January. And we talked about how all these different things are, all these different sins are basically us exchanging the truth of God for a lie. God says, don't do this. And we say, no, nah, I don't think he's right on that. God says, do this. And we're like, no, nah, I don't think he's right on that. And so we exchanged the truth of God for a lie. This is what idolatry is. We talked about homosexuality, adultery. We talked about gluttony. We, t- we talked about every sin underneath the sun. As a matter of fact, people will come in from week to week upset because, like, one week it hurt them. The next week, oh, that's not me. One week it hurt them. The next week, that's not me. And, like, I got all kinds of messages for that because people were upset. But it just exposed us, right? But then we got to February, pre-COVID, and we did a series called You, Yes, You. This was Romans 2, because then there's those who are in the church who are looking around and saying, well, that one wasn't me, that one wasn't me. I mean, I'm overall a good person, right? I'm overall a, a Christian person. I'm a good person. Well, what happens is in the You, Yes, You, chapter 2, Paul looks at the good people, right? In, this, in the context, it would have been the Jews who are sitting there and saying to themselves, well, you know, I'm the right heritage, and I keep the law. I've been circumcised. I'm not like these filthy, uncircumcised Gentiles. And Paul's like, you, yes, you are a sinner too. And he starts to talk about all these things about how your Jewish heritage does not save you, and your circumcision does not save you. Well, that was powerful because for us, yeah, we're not Jewish in here, but we are Christians who tend to take the same approach Jews do by saying, well, I go to church on a rock, surely that's enough. I've been baptized, surely that's enough. And so Paul dug in and said, you can do all that outward stuff and make all those outward claims. doesn't mean that you're actually a Christian on the inside or baptized on the inside. So he says to the Jews, a, a Jew is a Jew inwardly. Circumcision is circumcision inwardly. Basically, without repentance and believing in Jesus Christ, those inward things um, uh, happening, what's happening on the outside doesn't matter. And he looks at the Christians today and says, hey, I'm happy you're here in the midst of a pandemic. That don't mean you're going to heaven, right? I'm happy, so I see that you was baptized a couple weeks ago, praise God, but that don't mean you're going to heaven just because you was dipped in the water, right? If you weren't baptized internally, if you're not here internally, if you're not a Christian on the inside, if you're not a follower of Christ on the inside, it don't mean nothing. That's what he says in Romans 2. That's the summary. I'm just giving you a summary. Yes, it's deeper. There's more there, but I'm just giving you a summary. Now you're caught up. So you see where this would be? Like the Jews were sitting there like, yeah, get those Gentiles. Because when we came back after four years, they was doing stuff the way we don't do it. They can't be truly saved. And now we back and we want them to like, get them, Paul. And then Paul's like, well, what about y'all, right? So imagine being told as a Jew, the chosen people, that you being a Jew doesn't save you and that you being circumcised doesn't save you. 
Well, that's where we land for chapter 3. That, there's your context. I did as fast as I could do it, okay? There's your context to how we get to chapter 3. And so this series is going to be called All Fall. We'll be walking through chapter 3 for however long it takes. You guys know how that goes. And I'm probably going to be over here more. Oh, uh, Leah, my clicker's not working, so it's on you now. I'm sorry. That's okay. So just go to my next slide. Oh. Ah, oh, dang it. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, so if you can't read it, we're going to be basically in Romans 3, verses 1 through 8. So you can open up your own Bibles, do your phones or whatnot. We will be in Romans 3, verses 1 through 8. So after that context I just gave you, now check this out. Paul is going to do what we call a diatribe. He's actually going to, like, question himself, kind of argue with himself. Anybody ever done that? Like, you're about to, you're, you're talking through something, and then you're like, but what if... And you're basically talking to yourself, but you're, you're saying it as if you're thinking about what others are going to say. So when I sit here and I was putting this sermon together, and I'm like, hey, your baptism doesn't this, and just because you call yourself a Christian doesn't that, the immediate thing that comes to my mind is, well, then what's the point, right? Well, that's what Paul does. After he told the Jews that none of that stuff saves you, being a Jew and being circumcised is not what actually saves you, he says, then what advantage has the Jew or what is the benefit of circumcision, right? Like, if none of that stuff saves me, what's the point? And I'm sure many of you can identify with this today. All the stuff going on in this crazy community, country, world, church, everything, what's the benefit? Like, what's the point of it all? If, you're, if every Sunday I come in here, you're telling me it's Jesus Christ alone, it's grace, faith alone, da-da-da. Well, then why do I got to be at church? And you tell me no matter how much I read my Bible, reading it alone is not going to get me to heaven. Then why am I reading my Bible? Why am I praying? Why do I sing when Tossie? Like, why am I doing it? Why am I serving? Why, like, just be honest. I've had these things. Even as a pastor, I've been like, why am I pastoring anymore? Like, like maybe I don't want to get real. I'm going to get real with you. I've had moments in the midst of pandemic times and racial tension and all this to just say, what's the point? Have you? Have you? I mean, have you? Maybe you haven't. Maybe I'm up here alone, but it gets to a place where you're looking at everything and saying, if it's really Christ alone, faith alone, then why I got to do all this other stuff? And what's the point in all, like, none of this stuff saves me. Some of you children who are being raised in this Christian home and you're watching your friends from the other side, like, do what they want to do. And I keep telling you, hey, no matter what they do, they're not too far for God. And as long as they believe in Jesus before it's all said and done, they'll be saved. Some of you in the Christian home may be like, so then what's the point? Like, at some point, if it's just about believing in Jesus, why can I be like them? And then just believe when it's all said and done, and I'll be saved, and I can live the way I want to live right now. This is, this is the natural argument to what Paul said in Romans 2. What's the point? You keep sitting, Rashad, you keep preaching grace, you keep preaching love, you keep preaching salvation. So you're making it seem like what's the point in being obedient and reading my Bible? and be, What's the point if I can just be on my deathbed and be like, I believe in Jesus? Where's the benefit? Where's the profit? Paul says, great in every respect. First of all, and it's funny, he says, first of all, he doesn't get to the rest of the reasons until chapter 9. He's kind of like me, like squirrel, right? <laughs> but, but he's like, most importantly, in the Greek, it would be most importantly, they, the Jews specifically, were entrusted with the oracles of God. So when you ask the question, what's the benefit or what's the profit of any of this? 
Um, he says, first and foremost, Jews and Christians, you've been entrusted with the oracles of God. Now, we see that word oracles, oracles, and we start thinking like tarot cards and stuff and like eight balls and, right? No, it, the word in the Greek literally is the same word we use for word of God, right? Lagos. But why would, why would they translate it oracles right here? Well, specifically, not just the word of God, but the promises of God. They've been entrusted with the promises of God. The Jews, the chosen, they were entrusted with the oath. They were entrusted with the promises of God. And as believers, we've been entrusted with the promises of God. Now, check this. When you think of promises of God, can anybody tell me any? Like in the first, uh, this morning, somebody said the rainbow, that's a promise of God, that he'll never flood the earth again. Some people said a uh, promise that he'll never leave nor forsake you. Amen. Any other promises that anybody can give me? I want to interact here a little bit. Anybody? Yeah. Somebody, don't, y'all don't know any promises of God? See, we're about to go out to the beginning. Okay, y'all, y'all okay? Thank you. That's a very basic promise of God. Anybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So you've been entrusted, you've been given the promises of God, right? Stuff that you can bank on. But here's this. We only try to bank on the promises of God that are You'll be saved if you call on the name of the Lord. You know what that promise implies? That there's a promise that if you don't call on the name of the Lord, you won't be saved, right? If there's a promise in the Bible that heaven exists, then there's a promise that hell exists. If there's a promise that there are angels, then there's a promise that there's demons. I mean, anything that's promised good implies that there's a promise for the bad, right? You've been entrusted with that. You know that. You, you know these promises. You have these promises. You have a greater advantage than somebody who's without the Bible, somebody who's without these understandings. When you got Black Lives Matter going on, and you, if, you're, if you're on one side, you're feeling all of the oppression, all of the injustices, and all those things. And if you're on another side, you're thinking, I think that's a little over, that's, that's just too far, whatever. Here's the promise. God is in control of all of this, Right? God is against oppression. God is against injustice. And if I just look at the promises of God, I know where to stand. I ain't going to tell y'all what to do, but I'm going to say look at the Bible and you'll see where Jesus stood. If you're going through the pandemic stuff, mask or no mask, or is COVID real or all that, well, I know this didn't catch God off guard. That's what I do know. So I'm not going to knock whether you want to wear it or not, but what I do know is that the Bible says he's got this under control. Now imagine somebody who doesn't have that. There's your advantage. There's your advantage. You have the promises of God. But here's the problem. Oh, well, there's my point. Sorry. First point, promises of God. See, I would have blamed that on Leah, but I messed up. So, <laughs> so look at this. We value materials more than morals. You see, this is what you want. You want material benefits. I'm a Christian. I should be Ball and shot calling. Y'all know I like to say it that way, right? I should be, my my bank account should be good. I shouldn't be suffering because I'm, I mean, God loves me, right? Why would I suffer? Even though Philippians 1 says you were granted to suffer. Oh, what? Yeah, that's a promise. (laughs) That's a promise of God. Like God looks at you, Christian, and says, hey, you're going to, I promise you that you're going to suffer. What? That, That doesn't sound like a good promise. No, that's his promise. You're going to suffer. Yep. That's a promise of God. But but, like, you want the materialistic promises of God. You, you want things that, I want a bigger car or a better car, a bigger house. I want my kids to be safe. I want the world to be a place of peace. I want, I want everything to just fall in place. I want comfort. And so when you're telling me that the only benefit is that 
I, I know how to be right by God, that's not an advantage to me. Well, that shows you your view of God. Like, seriously, I, I just, I don't, you mean, my advantage of being a Christian is just knowing how to, like, live by God's standards? What's the advantage of that? That's boring. Well, that, that says something about you, not God. <laughs> that says something about you, not the promises. Um, we value earthly treasures more than eternal transformation. I mean, this is why um, I can stand up and say whatever I want to hurt you or to prove to you that I'm right about my view and not be concerned with whether or not it's going to hinder my opportunity to share the gospel with you. Because the treasure there is me being right. I have a view. I have an opinion. And I want to show you that I'm so right that I'm willing to post, say, or do anything to prove that to you, regardless if it means that I will never be able to share the gospel to, with you because now I've severed our relationship. My earthly treasure of being right is more important than your eternal transformation. If you read Luke chapter 13, because people think the Bible doesn't speak on the things that are going on today, this is our advantage, right? Let me show you something. In Luke chapter 13, I'm not going to, like, read this for yourself. Please go read it for yourself. There's an incident where the Galileans are slaughtered in the midst of making their sacrifices by Pilate, okay? This is police brutality. This is injustice. And Jesus did not ignore that. He brought it up, and it was something that everybody would have known about because he brought it up in a casual conversation. But you know, you know what he said in the midst of that? He didn't ignore it. He didn't act like it didn't happen, but he said this. Did they deserve that because they're Galileans or sinners? No. But I tell you this. If they died without repentance and believing, their fate is sealed. That has to break you. That has to break you. That in that moment, Jesus says, they didn't deserve that. Was it unjust? Yes. Was it wrong? Yes. And yet, if they died in that moment without repenting and believing, their fate is sealed. He goes on and talks about another national event where a tower fell on people. And he goes, everybody knows about this tower falling and killing these people. Do they deserve that for their sins or whatever? They're no more of a sinner than anybody else. But regardless, if they didn't repent and believe, their fate is sealed. You, you see how there's not an ignoring of what's going on, and yet in the midst of that, my biggest and greatest concern is that if you are going to die at the hands of any of the stuff going on, I want to make sure you're saved. I'm not ignoring what's going on, but if you don't know Jesus, it doesn't matter. That's the advantage it's not that I ignore what's going on. It's that I'm looking at the Bible and saying, regardless of what's going on, if you don't believe, it doesn't matter anyway. I can do everything to make all of the comfort here on earth for you, and you will not be comfortable in, in your afterlife, in eternity. Because I was so focused on being right, opinionated, or whatever here, that I just wanted to make changes for you right here. Well, that's one thing. And it's necessary. We see Jesus making changes here on earth. And yet, it was all so that he had access to people to do what? To win them for eternity. We've lost that. And since we've lost that, this is what we do. We say, well, what's the advantage of being Christian if life isn't easier here on earth because of it? It's because you're focused on the earthly stuff and not the eternal stuff. It's because we see the benefits of the Bible as boring burdens. Think about this. 
We're, we're like, so if all I get is like knowing the word of God, then well, it's kind of boring, and it's a burden. That means I got to suppress my voice. I, gotta, I can't speak up when I want my flesh to speak. I got to quiet down when I think I want to say something I shouldn't say. That means I got to watch what I do here, watch what I do there. That, like, it becomes boring, and it becomes a burden. You see it as labor. And, 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 and what happens because of this is you don't see the word of God as an advantage. You become the same Jew who says, Man, if I can't just say what I want to say and do what I want to do, then what's the advantage? I don't have an advantage. And Paul is like, you have every advantage. Once again, to the, to the kids that are being brought up in Christian homes, it seems like, like your parents who are believers are hindering you, making life boring. You miss out on all the good parties that are talked about at school. You miss out on all the the underage drinking and the smoking of the weed and the sexual stuff. You're missing out on all of that because your parents are so strict. And, but you're telling me, Rashad, that just being their child is not going to save me. So what's the point in me, like, like, what's the advantage of growing up in a Christian home? You're surrounded by the word of God. Like, your friends at school, they're going to tease you. You're lame. You're boring. You're square. All the, they're going to tease you. But who's going to be teasing who when we stand before God? I mean, we ain't going to be teasing them, but you know what I mean. Like, I don't know, nay, nay, boo, boo, you didn't make it. No, we want everybody to make it, right? We're not, that's not going to be us. But, but listen to what I'm saying. It's so easy to get caught up, teenagers, in like, there's no point in Genesis being a pastor's kid. Oh, my gosh, he's always, he talks about the Bible. What do you want to eat? Well, God said, <laughs> Right? Like, I just, why has it got to be all that, right? And, and I'm overboard, I'll admit it. But at some point, prayerfully, she can look back and say, I wouldn't have known any of this if I didn't grow up in this environment that was saturated with the Word of God. No, it didn't save me, but it gave me an advantage, right? Spiritually, I don't have the advantage, but the advantage of knowing. And this is what the Jews missed out on. They missed out on the advantage that you're the chosen people. You get the Word of God. All these other nations, go read Deuteronomy. All these other nations don't have this. You got the cheat code. You got the inside track. What do you mean what's the benefit of being a Jew? You had first dibs. You had first dibs. And so when you're coming to church and you're like, what's the point in all of this? You get first dibs. There's people out there who could care less about this. And, but they're going through everything we're going through. And your advantage is this. You, you may feel caught off guard, but if you really read this thing and spend time in it, you're like, man, I knew something crazy was going to happen. I didn't know how it was going to manifest itself, but the Bible says the world's going to get crazy and crazier. Like, if you're surprised if next year is worse than this year, then you're not reading your Bible, <laughs> right? And, if, and if, you're, if you're exhausted and feel like nothing's letting up, you're not reading your Bible. This is your advantage. Like, me and, me and Clinton went to go see Tenet at the movie theater, y'all. The movie theater's open. We went to go see this movie called Tenet. And we're at the edge of our seat, right, Clinton? We're at the edge of our seat. Like, we're sitting here, like, we're the loudest people in there. It wasn't even that many, but we were, I'm like, bro, like, did you, see? oh, my bad, you know. So, so while we're watching the movie, like, it's this mind bender. It's like, boom, boom, like, it's, it's a crazy movie. And then you get to the end, and you're like, oh, if I would have known that from the beginning, 
then I wouldn't have been at the edge of my seat on some of this. I would have been like, oh, well, I already know this, so I'm not surprised by any of this. That's what you have here. Like, like the, 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 the director of the movie, Christopher Nolan, if he went to go watch it, nothing's going to catch him off guard, right? He wrote the movie. He made the movie. So he's going to be watching it like, I know what's going to happen every single time. Okay, the, the author or the director of this movie called Life wrote the script right here, right? And if you just go read the script, you won't be caught off guard by the majority of things that are happening in your life. It may not play out the way you expected it to play out, but it's right here. So you have an advantage. This is your advantage. It doesn't save you, right? But, but it gives you an advantage. That's why there's those who aren't believers who've grown up in scriptures and they start thinking this with stuff like, man, like, the Bible said that, like, I didn't believe it, but it's happening. Wow. I'm not surprised. And this is where some of the repentance happens. So what is the word of God to you? Like, what is it to you? There's three views. One is it was written by man, therefore it's flawed, therefore it's great for morals and good stuff like that. But it's not like, it's not the say all, right? And then there's another view that's like, well, it was inspired by God. And since I don't know what inspired means, it's partially God, partially man. And so some of it's true, some of it's not. The parts that make me look better and make me feel good are true, but the parts that go against what I'm doing is not. That's another view. That's a real view. Then there's my view. It's the word of God. The same one who spoke everything into existence, took all that power and put it in here, and it's the word of God studied properly and taught properly. It, it's, it's, it's the word of the creator of the universe, right? And, and so if I study this and teach it and learn it and share it and grow in it, I have an advantage. I have an advantage out here. The word of God is my advantage. The Bible says all scripture, and y'all know how I do. In the Greek, the word all right here means all, right? <laughs> so, so all scripture is inspired by God, literally God breathed. So like when you think of the burning bush, you know, uh, when Moses was talking to the burning bush, God was the fire that was in the bush. But when he left, the bush still had all of its characteristics. So like these were men who were unique and, and had their like own, you know, attitudes and had their own context and all of that. So they were unique when they wrote it. But God filled them without consuming them or burning them up. Same thing when I preach. Um, the, word, the words that I'm preaching from the Bible, this is God's gifting. This is not Rashad. And yet I get to be who I am. This is who I am. Unapologetically, this is who I am. And God uses me without burning me up, but it's still him. You feel that? Okay. All scriptures inspired by God in that way and, and profitable for what? This is what it's profitable for. For teaching, for reproof, correction, training, and right, righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. That's what the scriptures are. You have an advantage if you have the scriptures. You have an advantage if you come to church and somebody's teaching them properly. You have an advantage if you study them on your own, if you have a devotional life. All of this, all of this is because of the word of God. That's your advantage. And so you've been entrusted, look at this, to not just grip the word, but give the word. This is what the Jews did. Oh, we're the chosen people. Keep it to ourselves. Shh. Like, just talk about everybody outside and just, we just keep this to ourselves when there's supposed to be a light to the nations, right? So here, Christians do the same thing. Hey, we got all this good stuff. Don't share it with nobody. How about we just build bigger and bigger and go deeper and deeper? You got some churches that are so theologically amazing and nobody knows about it because they don't want nobody else in here because then it gets hard when you got to deal with people because when you deal with people, people have different opinions, different views, and when you start getting more diverse, you don't want to be around those people. What do you do with that? You go back to your advantage. 
They're going to know us by our love for each other. Uh-oh. Right? But don't just grip the word. Give the word. Don't just learn the word. Live the word, right? Look, love, learn, live. It's a part of our values. Entrusted to have the word and help others with the word, to possess the word and pursue others with the word. So it's not just about, like, your benefit is not just for you. Your benefit should be a benefit for those around you. For example, if my daughter or wife were not believers, the fact that I am would be to their benefit. You see that? Stop complaining about the people around you who aren't saved and start being a benefit for them. It should overflow from you. You have it, so help others with it. Don't sit back and just dog everybody for what they're doing. Help them out. They don't know what you know. You have the advantage. But isn't that America? Isn't that the world? India? Africa? I get, I get ahead and I can't help anybody out. I remember me and my boy was looking for a job together, and he got a job. And I was like, yo, get me on. He's like, ah, <laughs> Uh, like, I don't know, man, because if you mess up, you're going to make my name look bad. Or, you know, when you're looking for a reference, you're like, hey, man, when you give me a reference, they like, uh, uh, <laughs> I don't know if I want to put that on my name. Or you ask somebody to co-sign for you because they got good credit, you got bad credit, they figured out how to make their credit go up, and then you go to them. And I got good credit now. But back in the day, like, I go and I'm like, hey, uh, could you co-sign? My mama like, no. <laughs> no, no, don't get me wrong. There's a sermon in that, right? But I'm saying, like, we do the same thing that we do with credit with the word of God. I understand it. And so when I teach it on Sunday, the hardest part of my sermon prep is bringing it down to a level that you can understand. I, my, 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 my greatest goal in sermon prep is not for me to understand it. It's how can I bring it to a level that everybody in this room can get something from it? It's not dumbing it down. It's communicating, right? But a lot of us get in the word, we get something, and we're like, I'm just going to hold on to that and talk about everybody else who ain't doing it. Mm-mm, that's not the point. And remember, anything that's given to you was revealed to you by God. If you get anything, anything out of this, it's not because you're smart. It's because God's revealing himself to you. So if he freely gave it to you, why wouldn't you freely give it away? But we don't make disciples. Why? We ain't got time for it. We have what we need to get to heaven. Who cares what others need? I got an agenda. I'm busy. I got other stuff I'm trying to do. I got views and opinions that keep me from wanting to make disciples from who God puts in my pathway, right? I'm in proximity with people who don't agree with my beliefs. I mean, not my beliefs, but my values, my opinions, my views on everything going on. And since they're in proximity with me, I have a choice. I can either say, hey, I'm going to ignore the fact that we disagree on these things because your soul means more, or because we don't agree, I'm just going to stand my ground, put up my, sand, you know, my line in the sand, and there we go. Doesn't work that way. That's not how it is. Uh, the, the, the word of God gives us doctrines and disciples are made with the word. Conviction and comfort come from the word. These are your advantages. You, like, remember, CNN is teaching a doctrine. Fox News is teaching a doctrine. President Trump is teaching a doctrine. Biden is teaching a doctrine. Black Lives Matter is teaching a doctrine. All Lives Matter. Blue Lives Matter. Red Lives Matter. All of it is teaching some kind of doctrine. Okay, great. This is your doctrine. This is where you get your doctrine from. Facebook is teaching a doctrine. That meme you had to post is teaching a doctrine. This is what, this is, here's, here's all of God's memes right here. <laughs> here's all of his Facebook posts right here. What are you adding or taking away from that? Because at the end of this, it says don't add or take away anything from this. But that's what you're doing, right? Here's his doctrine. Here's how he makes disciples, not what you're doing, right? And then the conviction you feel from him, 
The comfort you want from him, it's all right there. That's your advantage. Did I say that right? Inventage? Like, I'm talking, okay. So we're going to finish up now. So, so here's the natural response to that. What then? If some did not believe, their unbelief will not nullify the faithfulness of God, will it? May it never be. Rather, let God be found true, though every man be found a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. So this is what they're saying. Hey, okay, if that's my advantage, being a Jew, that we got the word of God and the promises of God, then, then what about the fact that a lot of us don't believe this? Does that mean... Like, our unfaithfulness leads to God being unfaithful? Kind of tit for tat, you know? Like, you know, in today's world, if a wife or a husband cheats on their spouse, the husband or the wife will cheat back to say, well, you cheated on me, so you was unfaithful to me, I'm unfaithful to you. Like, that's how we think God is. Like, if I'm unfaithful, like, this, this, and we show it like this. Man, I'm going to start going to church. Why? Because I just feel like God's not blessing me because I'm not going to church. So, so, so God, he's not going to do some of the things that he's going to do unless I do this. Like, it's like... It's tit for tat. If I'm unfaithful to God, he won't be faithful to his word. Well, that's not the God we know. So not only do you have the advantage of knowing the promises of God, you have the advantage of knowing the person of God when you have this Bible. See, God is firm. Acronym time, F-I-R-M. Get ready. All right. God is firm. He is faithful even though we are unfaithful, right? So I cheat on God. God doesn't change because I'm cheating on God. I know man does this, Right? I do somebody wrong, they stop loving me, I loved you yesterday, I don't love you today. Why? Because you betrayed me, right? But God doesn't do that. How many betrayed God this week? How many believe God still loves them this week? You see, because huh? why do you believe that? Because he's faithful. But you know what? There's people out in the world who don't know the word. They may even call themselves Christians, but they don't believe in the Bible fully. And so they think, since I did this this week, God doesn't love me anymore. Hey, if I stop preaching, God doesn't love me anymore. If I stop singing, if I stop serving, if I stop doing this, and you, this is the legalistic view of the Jews. I do this so that I can get God's love and keep it. God's like, I'm faithful with or without you. But this also means that everybody could be against you for standing on this, and all of them are wrong, not you for standing on this. Think about that. A lot of times we let people move us. If my whole church is against me for saying it is wrong for blah, 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 according to the word of God, then all of y'all are wrong. Not me, not because I'm better than you, but because the Bible says it and God is faithful, even if everybody else is unfaithful. You see how that works? So he's, he's faithful, but he's also immutable. Now, that's one of those like, what, immutable? When I first saw this word, I thought it meant like he, he can't be shut up, right? Like mute, right? <laughs> You're like, I'm like, he's immutable. You can't shut God up. No, that's me. Now, God <laughs> is immutable. This word means he cannot, who said amen? See, there we go. God cannot be changed. That's what immutable means. He doesn't change. You know when you say the, he's the same yesterday, today, forevermore? Next time somebody says that, be like, oh, yeah, he's immutable. They're going to be like, what? That's exactly what it means, though. He can't be changed, right? This is important. Why? Because in a society like we have today, today I am against wearing a mask. Today I don't want to wear a mask. Your mom died from COVID. Tomorrow everybody needs to wear a mask. You see how quickly I changed, right? Today Black Lives Matter, um, I don't agree with that. Oh, your child, your, your daughter has a son who's biracial, who went through blah, 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 da, 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 racial stuff. Oh, now black lives matter all the way, and I'm completely on the other side. Oh, blue lives don't matter today. Police are unjust. Oh, your cousin that's a cop was shot and killed in the line of duty. 
oh, blue lives do matter now. You, you see that? You see what man does? That's man. Man can be moved by emotions, feelings, and proximity. God doesn't move. Your advantage, if you so choose to take advantage of your advantage, is to get where God is and don't move. Your emotions, your feelings, they matter, but don't move based on those. If he doesn't move, you don't move. You see how that works? You see how that works? Like, seriously, I don't want you to say amen and then get on Facebook this afternoon. If you're saying amen now, I'm holding you accountable to the amen. All right. Uh, who said that? Dad, you're accountable. All right. Look, God is righteous. Man is unrighteous. So what God says is right is right, not what you says is right. And God is master. Firm. He's firm. He's Lord. If you believe it, the Bible says it, that seals it, he's Lord. All right? And so I'm just going to move through the rest of this. But so here's, here's the next. So, so, so they were like, hey. What's the advantage? Here's your advantage is the word of God. But what if we're not faithful to the word of God? Do those promises get nullified? No, no, no. Even if you're not faithful, those promises stand, they stick. Okay, so now they're like, last question, Paul, last couple of questions. If our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? The God who inflicts wrath is not unrighteous, is he? And he says, I'm speaking like a human being here because y'all might say, yeah, yeah. Paul said it. He says, may it never be, for otherwise how will God judge the world? If God is unrighteous, then how can he judge the world? He goes on and says, but if through my lie, this is another question, hypothetical. If through my lie the truth of God abounded to his glory, why am I still being judged as a sinner? And why not say, as we are slanderously reported and as some claim that we say, let us do evil that, we may, that good may come, their condemnation is just. See how that gets like, what? What does that mean? Here we go. You ever heard that phrase, the end never justifies the means, right? Imagine Judas saying this. All right, God, like, yeah, I snitched on Jesus. I'm the one that, you know, brought the people to crucify Jesus. But, I mean, he had to go to the cross anyway, right? And because he went to the cross and he died and he was buried and he was resurrected and he ascended, because of the gospel, I'm, like, I play a key part in the gospel. Why are you mad at me? Like, why are you mad at Judas if because of me, Jesus went to the cross? Like, should not, if anything, Peter said, don't go to the cross. I helped Jesus go to the cross by showing them where he was at so they could crucify him. And if the crucifixion and the death and the burial and the resurrection led to all these people being saved and having access to salvation, then why are you mad at me if the end it was what it was. And that's what, that's what we do, right? We're, we, we'll have, I know people tired of me talking about this, but we'll have sex outside of marriage. We'll have a child and be like, well, it was a child, right? Like I had a baby. So obviously God shouldn't, like he shouldn't be mad at me for doing this because it produced this. And we'll do that in every, it's more than sex outside of marriage. Um, imagine me being a drug dealer, right? And selling dope to people who are losing their lives but I tithe off of it, right? And the church that I'm tithing to has all this extra money because I'm bringing in, I'm bringing in all this money and since my pastor told me 10% or more or whatever, whatever, well, I'm taking the 200000 I'm making a week and I'm tithing 25000 to the church a week because, I mean, he should ignore my drug dealing. Look what the church is getting. How does that sound to you, right? But this, this is what we do. This is what we do. You may not do it to that extreme, but you do it. Here's another one. Kids who are growing up in the church, parents who have grown up in the church, you may have a testimony that is like, man, I believed when I was five, six, seven, eight, 
God, you know, I had temptation along the way, but God sustained me, and I've just been in church my entire life. I've been following the Lord. And then you get somebody like myself or somebody that comes in and was like, man, I was selling cocaine, and I was hustling hard, grinding in Miami, and I was this, and I'm a former murderer from her, this, and, but then God got a hold of my life, and the church goes, ah, right? Like, look at that testimony. And you're thinking, well, then what was the point of mine? Because mine don't sound as good as theirs. Man, you know yours is more powerful than theirs. You just don't see the advantage in the fact that he sustained you through everything so you didn't have to do all of those things. But we'll say, man, surely he can't be upset with all these things that the person went through because it led to a greater testimony. It's not a greater testimony. The, the end that he believed in Jesus doesn't justify all the stuff that you or I or anybody's done along the way. But that's what we try to do. We're like, why would God be mad at me if me doing all the bad I did only led to people coming to Christ because they can identify with me? No, no, just because God is awesome doesn't mean you awesome, right? That's why we say God is awesome. He took the stuff that, like, shouldn't be able to be used and used it, but that don't mean, like, that justifies what you did. And that's what we do. So, so Paul says some were claiming this, let us do evil that good may come. And I want to say this before I get out of your way. Um, that's the problem with not just churches in general, but Church on the Rock specifically. We do this thing where we say, um, I'll put it like this. There is a temperature in this church among all of us that is starting to believe that we are a very laid back, not approaching to sin church. Like you can kind of do what you want. Let me explain. That's true. I will affirm that. But it's true because of you. See, the advantage is this. What's the advantage of being in a church and having the Bible and all that good stuff? That's what we've been talking about. You have the Word of God, and it hasn't changed. Just because you got into deeper relationships with each other doesn't mean sin is not sin. Just because these sins are showing like, oh, man, this person was this and it was this, and now, look, they're leading in the church and all of that, doesn't change the fact that you allowing them to sin is wrong. And so here's what happens. Most of you want to bring it back to a pastor or a leader and say, I saw this person doing this, you should hold them accountable. But your advantage of being in the church and having the word of God is that you should hold them accountable. You want to know why we're seen as a very liberal church in terms of, like, allowing sin? It's because of y'all. So let me tell you something. Ask the people whose sin I know about. I sit them down. The reason it doesn't get to the church level is because they either leave because they're upset that there is church discipline or they sat down and they've been restored to the church. But here's the thing. When you bring me something and I push back that you should do something about it and you don't do nothing about it, you're getting rid of our advantages. When you are at your gatherings and five non-families and parties and cookouts and picnics and you see people doing things that you know doesn't, op that doesn't fall in line, it's on you. It goes for the spouses too. Why, 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 why am I looked at as a lenient pastor when I teach hard every Sunday morning, but that hour of conviction doesn't do nothing through the rest of the week because nobody's holding each other accountable because nobody's using the advantage that we have? See, you have the advantage of going to that person and saying, look, you, you can think that I'm, I'm hateful, mean, judgmental, or whatever. I just want, we have an advantage I want to hold you to. So when I see you doing it, stop doing it, husband, wife, friend uncle, cousin, whatever, stop doing this because God says stop doing it. We don't do that. Instead, we run back to a pastor and we say, hey, you should be, go check in on this brother because he's doing this. I'm like, why didn't you do it? In fact, if you do it the wrong way, you're, you're technically gossiping. You're technically gossiping. 
you go back to the person. If you're sitting there and they're doing something they ain't got nobody to do, say something to them. Well, I'm scared that they won't come back to church. That's on them. That's them getting rid of their advantage because there are people who believe in Jesus right now who aren't a part of a church who are wondering why they can't stay in line. It's because you don't have the advantage of a church family to help you keep in line. Do you know even as the pastor of this church, I have a group of brothers and sisters who check in on me weekly and rebuke me constantly. Like it's annoying sometimes. Right? Why? Because there are some of you who don't feel comfortable enough speaking up about what you see wrong in my walk. So I have to make, and I understand kind of how that works a little bit, but I have to put people in my life who have no problem saying what they need to say, and I have to be honest with them. Well, some of us, we don't take advantage of that because we won't even get in close enough relationships for somebody to speak into our lives. Five not families seem boring, but you know what they're for? Your advantage, not for us. Discipleship seems boring, but it's for your advantage. You wonder why you go to a church and you're not growing spiritually. It's because you're not taking care of your advantage. I mean, you're not taking uh, um, advantage of your advantage. Yes. Yes, that's exactly what it is. I tell you to go make disciples and be discipled. Why? Because he's just trying to keep us in some kind of... No, it's to your advantage. You won't grow. You'll just keep doing what's comfortable because you're not going to tell yourself to do the hard stuff. You need somebody else to do it. I do it. I do it to the point that people stop hanging out with me. Don't invite Rashad. Rashad come, you know, he going, you know, we're going to do this and he's going to say something. So don't invite him. They stopped inviting me, but they're still inviting you. <laughs> they're still inviting you. Think about that. That should hit everybody in the room at some place. So he says their condemnation is just, which means we also have the advantage of knowing the penalty of God. Okay? That's the last one. We, so our advantages are we know the promises, the person, and the penalty of God. That's our advantages according to Romans 3, 1, 8. This is why you're a part of a church. This is why you attend. This is why you need to do five non-families. This is why you need to be in a discipleship relationship. God is not counting how many seats we fill. He's counting disciples being made. We're not making them because we're not taking advantage of our advantages. So let's finish this up. Advantages are not advantageous without application. Right? That's, this is what that means. If I go get a job and my wife already has a job that has benefits that are amazing and all that, and they're like, hey, we're offering you this job, and here's the benefits that come with it. Those benefits are no benefit to me because my wife already has better benefits. So they're no benefit to me because I'm not going to apply them, right? Well, it's the same thing with the Bible. All this stuff I just told you about doesn't matter if you don't apply it. So there is no advantage to coming to church. If you don't apply nothing, you're right. Hey, what's the advantage of going to church? I come every Sunday, I hear this sermon, and nothing changes in my life. Well, did you change anything? No. Nope. What? What? Yeah, why are you coming to church? What's the point in reading the Bible? I read it, I, I get a little something of conviction, but I don't change it. So what's the point in reading the Bible? Yeah, I agree. What's the point in reading the Bible? What's the point in being a Christian if being a Christian was just for a title? What's the point in being at church on the rock if everything we're asking you to do is just in one ear, out the ear on a Sunday morning, and Jesus is not bigger than Sunday? What is the point? So you got to think at some point, pastors, leaders, everybody starts saying, well, what's the point in us teaching it? What's the point in me teaching any of this if all that happens is you go out and you're like, he spoke too long. <laughs> they didn't do the songs I liked. I still didn't get it. Well, do you have somebody you could talk to about it? No, because I don't want to spend time with anybody after Sunday. Well, then, then there is no advantage, y'all. And then I agree with you. There's no advantage. And you have not taken advantage of your advantages. 
because you haven't applied. And it goes back to what we said. God's word is not beneficial without belief that births behavior. So we're going to sing um, this song called All the Poor and Powerless. And there's something about this song, um, um, how they're singing, uh, we will, hallelujah, right? And, and, and at the beginning of the words, at the beginning of the words, at the beginning of the song, it's like um, all the power, all the poor and powerless. All the, put the song up for me, Leah. <laughs> all the poor and powerless and all the lost and lonely, okay? Like, I want you to stop before we get started. I want you to think about this so that you can sing with some meaning behind it because there's no benefit to the song if you're just singing it to sing it. All the poor and powerless. I don't know about you, but the way life has been over these last five months, I feel powerless. I got people I love that I can't reach. I got people I have influence, on, influence with that I can't comfort. I feel poor. I feel powerless. I feel lost in a lot of ways. I feel lonely, right? And when we're singing this song, there's something about this advantage that we have called the Bible that helps me still shout hallelujah, right? Like if I feel poor, I feel powerless, how do I shout hallelujah? I get back into the advantage I have. Because guess what? The world out there still feels poor and powerless too. They feel lost and lonely too. So what separates us from them? Our advantage. The fact that God says, Rashad, I know you feel poor and powerless. I know you feel oppressed in some areas and that there's injustice in areas. I know you don't know whether to wear a mask, not wear a mask. I know you don't know whether to agree with Trump or agree with Biden. I know you're confused, and lo, I am always with you. I will never leave nor forsake you. And in the midst of that, I just need you to read the word the best you can, respond to it, surrender to it, and, and at least be able to stand before me and say, Father, I don't know if I was right on this view, wrong on this view, but I did it all in faith on what I thought the advantage I had said. And if I was wrong for that, you knew me more than any, you knew me better than myself, and you knew I did it in faith. So because of that truth, Guess what I can do in the midst of all of this? I can shout hallelujah. Right? And I can sit here and say, hey, I will admit, I've had anxiety. I've had depression. I've wanted to quit ministry as a whole. I've had doubts. I've had fears. I've had, uh, I've had things that have divided my attention from God over these last five months. I've had angers. I've had hurts. I've had all these things. But the advantage I had was that First Peter says cast all of that. It doesn't say ignore it. It says take it, acknowledge it, and give it to him because he's faithful and he cares about you. That's my advantage. It's not that I know more than anybody. It's not that I'm more comfortable than anybody. It's not that I'm, I'm, I'm more innocent than anybody. It's that I have the, the advantage of knowing that he told me that he cares for me. In the midst of all my struggles and my worries, he cares for me. And that advantage is yours if you will just receive it. So I scream out hallelujah. And then I go and share that advantage with as many people as I can, letting them know that I'm going to shout it from the mountains, he is God. I challenge you to do the same. Amen. Let's sing.
as we prepare to close, um, the way that song ends is so unique. We're talking about screaming and shouting hallelujah, but we bring it down, right? And I, I just had a moment where I'm like, some of us think that we can't scream and shout about the things and the advantages of God because we don't have that personality that's out there and that's just up front and in the stage in front of people. But even then, when we brought that down to where it was almost a whisper, we're still shouting and screaming hallelujah. You don't have to have a specific personality type to take advantage of these advantages and share them with others. Uh, the same way we can scream and shout without screaming and shouting and still proclaim all of those things. You have a choice right now. You can take this message and you can walk out those doors and not take advantage of the truth that has been proclaimed to you. You can feel some type of way about the things I said or the way I approached it and just ignore all of this because of me. Me. Or you can ignore the me part. You can ignore the way I said it or the way I did it. You can open it up for yourself, read the Bible for yourself, or take the parts that you know are God, and you can actually take advantage of what he said to you today. It's your choice. And I, I can't be responsible for your choice. I'm responsible for what I provide you in the information to make that choice. Please remember uh, Nick Mendenhall and Amanda Williams with their battle with cancer. Please remember those that are on the opposite end of spectrums from you that are among you right now and out in the world. I have a challenge. Outside of your businesses and things like that, get off of Facebook. Um, tomorrow's Labor Day, so spend time with family and stay off of Facebook until next Monday. It's just a challenge. You do what you want to do with that. I've been off of it. It's been amazing. Stay off of social media outside of promoting whatever business you have to. Stay off of social media. Don't respond to the things that are posted. And just get back to your advantage, which is the Word of God, the people of God, the person of God. I challenge you to do that. I've been doing it over the last uh, couple weeks. It's really put me in a place where I can love again the way I need to love, which is sacrificially. If this is boring to you, if this is a burden for you, next week's going to be worse. <laughs> But if this is birthing something in you, listen to it and believe it and then behave it. Amen? Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being able to shout hallelujah when many are shouting um, many other things. Father, we thank you for the privilege of being entrusted to go and scream about these advantages from the mountains and tell people that you are God. Father, we are thankful for the benefits and the advantages we have of not only your word, but your children. Even though we don't always see the eye, eye to eye with each other, Father, you chose us and you brought us together perfectly. Everybody who's walked through those, that garage door this morning, Father, you brought here. Um, you put them in this room together and you ignored all of our differences and told us to do the same. When do we start to actually believe that? When do we start to show the world the difference between us and them is purely what you're doing in us and not us? Um, I, I pray, Father, that you begin that work today with this message, with these songs, with this worship, with this experience. And I pray, Father, as I look over everybody, as I pray with my eyes closed, that, I mean, my eyes open, that you, Father, are doing a work in hearts that my message couldn't do, but only your spirit can do. I trust in it. You've promised it. 
So I'm taking advantage of that promise and I'm believing in it. You are firm. You are faithful, immutable, righteous, and you are master. And therefore, this is your church. These are your people. Father, I give it all to you. It's in your precious son, Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen. Hey, you guys have a great and amazing week. Love you all. This podcast is a ministry of Church on the Rock, building his body, breaking our barriers. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at www.churchontherockbb.com.
time and just surrender it all to Jesus this morning. I surrender.